0: You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. How many of you have played Monopoly at some point in time in your life? This morning, we're going to do a little Monopoly trivia. And so you're going to see questions come up on screen. How many railroads are on a Monopoly board? Anybody know? Four. 64% chance of landing on a railroad. How many utilities are on a Monopoly board? Two. Let's go to our next question. What's going to be our next question? How many total spaces are on a Monopoly board? 40 is correct. Yes, 40. What is the highest rent property on a U.S. version of Monopoly? Boardwalk. Boardwalk. Now, here's a tougher one. What's the longest game of Monopoly ever played? 10, 14, 50, 70 straight days. How, how many days? Huh? 50, four, 14... 70 is correct, 70 straight days. Who has time to play Monopoly for that long? I I was also reading that someone played Monopoly in the bathtub for 99 straight hours. They, They played it upside down for 36 hours. They played it underwater for 45 days. Again, I don't know where people get this amount of time, but some people, they really love Monopoly. Monopoly is a great game to play, but it's a terrible way to live. The underlying principle of Monopoly is to acquire as much property as you possibly can, get rich, and crush your fellow players. That's the goal, and it's a wonderful game to play, but man, it's a terrible way to live. Because it's all about greed. And in our culture, we struggle with greed. We see it with CEOs who will lie to their investors. They will embezzle money. We see it even with pastors who will steal money from the church. We'll see it through identity and male theft. We see people robbing banks. We see people that will steal even from our homes, all in the name of greed. They want more and more stuff. And and chances are, you probably know someone who is greedy. They they always take the biggest piece of the pie, or the most enchiladas, or or the most lasagna. Like when they go in line, you already know they're going to take the biggest piece. They, They never sign up to bring anything for the potluck. And they, they, they just you have a potluck at work or with, some, with your family or whatever the case may be, and, and they just never sign up, Or if they do sign up, it's always for like the cheapest item. It's like, "Hey, I'll bring some chips, or I'll bring the 99-cent generic Coke." And, and it's not because they're hurting financially, it's just because they're greedy. Some greedy people, they, they climb the ladder, but they hurt others in the process. They say, well, it's just about business, but it's not just about business. It's about their status. It's about their power. It's about their paycheck. Some greedy people, man, they've got to have the best parking spot. They want to have the closest parking spot at their jobs. They'll fight for that parking spot that's close to the grocery store. If it's a tie, man, they're going to take it. And then, if you happen to take it, they're going to tell you you're number one and tell you some praise the Lord words and and let you know about it. Some people who are greedy will go into debt just to look wealthy. Some greedy people, their houses are filled with so much stuff. They they, they are just, just filled with so much stuff you can barely walk into it. Uh, we'd probably call them hoarders. I've got some family members that are along those lines. It's like we just have a little path that we walk through, and they, then they build more and more stuff so they can put more and more junk in it. Greedy people can never have enough. They can never have enough. And, and we probably all know people who are greedy. But I wonder, I wonder if we, too, have some greedy tendencies, I wonder if we, too, might struggle with greed. Anybody have a garage that's filled up with so much stuff you can't park in it? Oh, now we're starting to get personal, right? Anybody have a store shed? Like, you have a nice house, but then you had to build a store shed because you got so much stuff? I mean, that's, that's me. Anybody rent storage from a storage facility? One in 10 Americans rent storage. There's five times more rental storage facilities than there are Starbucks. And I think we all know how many Starbucks there are. Amen. And so just imagine <laughs> that's how many more storage facilities there is. All for our stuff. All for our stuff. Let's go to the next slide. Anybody have a closet full of stuff? Uh, of shoes, of clothes, stuff we don't even know we have. I mean, it's, it's, it's just filled. And, and then we say, well, I don't have anything to wear. And, 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 and again, it, this hurts, right? And so, uh, no, I don't want to comment. I don't, we just want to keep on going through. It, it, it's, it's tough. We, we all have stuff. of kids live in the United States. But 40% of all the toys that are owned is by that 3.1% of kids in the United States. Anybody ever go to the store and and they buy something they already have? Like, I can go into Home Depot or Lowe's and I I see this shovel and I've probably got three or four shovels already, but like, oh man, I don't have that type of shovel. I mean, it's got a different color handle, or or man, it does something different. Or a real weakness is when I see a drill. Oh man, I, that drill's got a light on it, or man, you can just think and that drill just works for you. Or so I mean, you know, you know what the advertisements say. I mean, there's just all these enticements, and you see that and you're like, man, I already got a couple of drills, but man, I can always use a couple more. And I especially when there's sales, I mean there's Father's Day coming up, and I can always use something else. A few months ago, there's a couple that come up here, and they they volunteer. They do yard work and just various things. And then they had some clippers. And and I like lawn tools. I mean, that's one of my weaknesses. I really like to do lawn work, and I like to do those things. And they had some clippers. I mean, I didn't have any clippers like these. I mean, these were nice. I mean, they clipped everything so nicely. And and so I was like, man, I need to get some of those. And and I was just, just thinking, well, but I already have a couple more clippers, but... And so I haven't got it yet, but I mean, I got, I got to tell you, it's been processing. It, it, isn't that what we do? I mean, or I go into a bookstore and I've got hundreds of books already, but I just need one more book. How much is enough? I, I, how much is enough? I, I originally kind of started thinking about the subject of greed and I was thinking, yeah, this is for those other greedy people. And then I began to, God began to whisper and it's like, hey, big boy. You've got some greedy tendencies as well. I wonder if you're there with me. That originally we kind of think, yeah, I wish someone else was here to hear that. And then God says, hey, you need to be on guard. You too might have some greedy tendencies. It's not bad to have stuff. Don't, don't misunderstand me. God wants us to enjoy the stuff that we have. He just doesn't want us to worship it. He doesn't want us to find our contentment in our stuff. Genesis chapter 13. Larry Osborne talked about this passage, and he said this is a little sneaky passage that actually has to do with greed. It's the story of Lot and Abram. You remember Abram eventually turned his name to Abraham. And so if you hear me say Abram or Abraham, it's the same same person. Both of them were blessed with a tremendous amount of flocks and and wealth. And and we come to this passage. It says Lot was traveling with Abram and had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all of their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Prezites were also living in the land. And so you had Lot and you had Abram and they had all these flocks and, and disputes began to, to come out. My guess is over water, over wells or over the green pastures or, or who got there first. And, and so they had so many blessings that they began to fight. And then they, on top of that, they had to share it with the Prezites and the, the Canaanites. And, and so Abram comes up with an idea. And, you, and, and let's look at our text. It says, finally, Abram Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. Uh, Abram was his uncle. The, The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want. And we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land to the right, then I'll go to the left. We might miss this in this passage, but what Abram is doing is countercultural. Abram is the oldest. He's the man that should be getting all of the honor. And in that culture, if you were the oldest, you got the double portion of the inheritance. You were the king. Everyone respected you. But instead, Abram does something countercultural. He he says, hey, I'm going to show generosity. I'm going to show humility. Lot, you get your first choice. He could have said, Lot, you know what? This is the part that I like. You go take that other part. But instead, he shows generosity, and he says, Lot, it's your choice. And, And so Lot takes a long look at the fertile plains, of the Jordan. I mean, I have, a picture, I have a feeling he was walking and he was like, oh man, this is beautiful stuff. I mean, he goes in, uh, to the fertile, he sees the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley to, in the direction of Zor, and, and, and it's well watered. I mean, it's going to be good for his crops, it's going to be good for, his, for the animals. He says it's like the garden of the Lord, like the garden of Eden. It, it's beautiful, like the land of Egypt. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a little commentary in there. Uh, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley, not part of the Jordan Valley, but the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. And he went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. And so Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people... Of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. I hold hold this up here for just a second. Notice this: Where did he live? Near where? Near Sodom. Keep this in mind: He's near Sodom. So Lot scouts out everything, and he says, "Hey, this is the best. This is the best. It's got water. It's beautiful. It's close to cities who are thriving. And, and so I'm going to." Live near Sodom, even though it's extremely wicked and the people sin against the Lord. Keep this in the back of your mind. He's near Sodom at this point in time. He, he could have said, hey, Abram, this really is probably the best land. Could, could we find a way that you could get some of this beauty, some of this water? But he says, no, I'm going to take all of this. And, and this, is the, this is the best stuff. And, and so he takes it. And if we fast forward to chapter 14, I'm just going to summarize it for you, okay? Next thing you know, there's a battle that brews. Four kings uh, come up against five kings. Sodom is invaded. And guess what? Now Lot is living in, in Sodom, this wicked town. And he's hauled off. Well, Abram hears of this. He takes 318 trained men. He goes and rescues Lot and rescues the people of Sodom. But, but just catch this. Lot was living near Sodom. Now he's in Sodom. Then we fast forward to Genesis chapter 19. Lot is living in Sodom again, this wicked place. God says, hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You are the only righteous person there. Second Peter 2 tells us that that Lot was a righteous man. He he rescues Lot and his family. He says, hey, you need to get out of Dodge. He he goes and tells his daughters and his son-in-laws, and his son-in-law said, Oh, you're drunk. You don't know what you're talking about. And and Lot says, hey, daughters, his wife, hey, let's get out of here. We got to get out of here. And, and so there was a restriction. We're not supposed to look back at the destruction. And so they're going. And his wife, for whatever reason, stops and looks. And she turns into a pillar of salt. The, the angel says, hey, you need to go to the mountains. And, and Lot says, hey, can I just stay in this little village called Zor? And, and the angel says, okay, that's fine. And, and so, again, Sodom, Gomorrah, destroyed. His wife turns to a pillar of salt. They, they, they get to Zor, and then he says, oh, man, uh, these people are spooky. They're, they're scary, scary. So I think I'll just move up to the mountains. And so he moves up to the mountains, and it's just him and his daughters. And, and his daughters, they don't have anyone else to carry on the line. And, and so they come up with a plan. They, they, they say, well, you know, let's get our dad drunk and let's sleep with him. Wow. And so that's what they do. They become pregnant from their father and they give birth to two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And they end up being Israel's enemy. You might remember the Moabites because of Ruth. She was a Moabite. But Israel was told not to intermarry with them. They worshiped pagan gods. They did a lot of despicable things. All of this started off with Lot saying, hey, I want the best piece of cake. I want the best land. I I think Lot had a little greed in him. So many people live like it's Monopoly. They they try to acquire as much as possible, yet they don't realize that eventually it all goes back into the box. It all goes back into the box. People, people think, oh, man, I, I just want just a little bit. Greed's not that bad. But I've seen greed destroy families. Anytime there's a death in a family and there's an inheritance or there's a will or there's not a will, or there's money, there's property, I've seen families turn against each other. They, they start fighting and they get their feelings hurt and they do things. And sometimes they sue each other and, and it destroys families all because of Greed. Uh, we've seen it happen in the workplace. We've seen businesses closed because of greed. We've seen greed in the church, and we've seen churches be destroyed because of greed. Greed is a big deal. Greed happens time and time again. And, and so this morning, I just want to give you a few moments, and I want to say, hey, we want to guard against greed, but how do we do, do it? Last week, when we talked about words with friends, and we talked about the power of words, we said that the mouth reflects the heart. Well, Andy Stanley said this. He said, greed is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Where do we find our contentment? Is it in our things? Is it in the things that we buy? Or is it in our relationship with Christ? So I want to give you five little quick things that that will help us guard against greed and help us find contentment. First of all, we want to trust God completely. He's the one who fulfills our needs. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 says, Don't love money. Don't worship money. Money itself is neutral, but we don't want to love money. But be what? Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, "I'll never fail you, I will never abandon you. So, that you." so we can say with confidence, "The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Well, we, we want to trust God with our lives. That's how we can find contentment. Secondly, let's keep an eternal perspective. Luke 12:15 says, "Then he said, "Beware, guard yourself against every kind. Every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Success isn't about how many toys that you have. Remember, eventually it all goes back into the box and you can't take it with you. Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Don't store up up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Our our things that we buy, many of them are wonderful, but eventually they will break, eventually they'll rust, eventually they'll decay. Some of them will even be stolen. We want to keep an eternal perspective. It's just stuff. Then we want to be grateful for what you have. And instead of thinking about all of the things you don't have, take a moment, even right now, and just think, man, what am I grateful that I do have? And I want to kind of take it to another step. I want you to think, man, God, I want to write out this week just all of the blessings that you've given me. Mm-hmm. Count your blessings one by one. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8 six says, Yet true godliness with contentment, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be what? Content. Even though we're bombarded with messages that tell us not to be content, commercials say, you have to have this. Other people will say, you have to have that. But contentment is found in Christ. And then I want to encourage you to be generous. That's the antidote against greed. Instead of saying, oh, man, everything is for me and I want this. What if you decided to share something this week? What if you decided to give something? Maybe you go and buy someone lunch. Maybe as you go out to lunch after you stay for the VBS workday. Or maybe you go out for supper instead of lunch because we're going to have pizza for you today. Maybe you decide to bless that waiter or that waitress with a big tip. We know historically Christians tend to tip terrible. and Like some people, they would prefer not to work on Sundays because of the Christian crowd. What if we decided that we're going to be generous, that we're going to bless someone beyond, and, and not just for their service, but maybe they're just having a bad day, and we decide, you know what, we're just going to bless them. Maybe you can't do it with money, but maybe you decide to go mow someone's yard. Maybe you decide to do some yard work for Maybe you decide to cook a meal. But you're going to decide that we're going to be generous. This church is a generous church. I know that. But we want to keep on being that example. And then let's choose selflessness. Greed is about being selfish. And maybe out of all of these, this might be the hardest one for some of us. Instead of choosing to sit in the front seat... Instead of calling shotgun, sit in the back seat. At the grocery store, instead of getting in the shortest line, decide to get in the longest line. Just say, you know what, someone else needs to be blessed today. Let them get their groceries faster. In the business deal, leave some some extra money on the table. Instead of taking it all, say, you know what, I, I just want to have a good relationship. Maybe this one will be hard for you. Choose to lose playing Monopoly. Choose to lose playing a game. Because some of us, were competitive. Man, we want to win at all costs. But that's sometimes how greed kind of gets into us. Choose to lose the argument. Some of us, we get into an argument with our spouse or our kids, and we just feel like we have to go back and forth. But what if we said, you know what? It's not about us winning. Honey, you win. And not condescending, okay? Your, your spouse would tell you if it's condescending, okay? But you're doing it with a loving heart. What if we chose to apologize first? Some of us, we have a hard time apologizing. We want to do everything that we can to guard against Greed. Leo Tolstoy wrote a little short story about a a farmer. He was given an opportunity to own more land. And this farmer, man, he wanted to own as much land as he possibly could. And and so for a thousand rubles, he could own more land. And and basically, here was the agreement. He he was to walk as, he he could walk as far as he possibly could. And he could own all the land that he walked on. But here was the catch. He had to be back to the starting spot by the time the sun went down. And so he started off in the morning. And, man, he's walking and he's walking and he's walking as fast as he can. And he's covering so much ground. And, man, he's, he's just thinking, man, I've, got, I'm, I've just picked up a whole lot more land. And it's getting afternoon. And he's getting tired. But he's thinking, I, I need more land. And so he starts walking some more. And he's walking some more. And he's walking some more. And then he realizes the sun's starting to go down. And I'm a long way away from that starting spot. And, and so if he doesn't get there, he loses it all that he's, war- that he's walked and, and basically almost ran for. And, and so then he turns back and he starts running. And, and he's out of breath and his heart's beating. And I mean, he, he's doing everything he can. And, and he's seeing the sun's going down and it's going down and it's going down. And he finally gets back to that starting spot, out of breath, heart pounding, and the sun goes down. Blood starts coming out of his mouth. He takes his last breath, and he dies. And his servants come over, and they dig a six-foot hole three feet wide. And they bury him. And Leo named this little short story, How Much Land Does a Man Need? How much land does a man need? The question I ask for you is, how much is enough? How much is enough? How much do we really need? Where do we find our contentment? We want to be a church that has our contentment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is who gives us our contentment.